Hi, this is Josh from El Buo Cafe. As we get started, we just want to remind all our listeners that the views and opinions expressed here are those of our guests. While these stories may not be reflective of the position of El Buo Cafe, we do hope that by sharing them we can give context to our listeners of the amazingly diverse, creative, and eclectic community we love here in Mexico. El Buo Cafe is a small, not-for-profit coffee shop located in Hidalgo, Nuevo León, Mexico. It sits in view of the majestic El Potrero Chico, a world-renowned rock-climbing destination. Since 2010, thousands of people have come through our doors to partake of our amazing coffee, great food, and to share in our community. Everyone has a story, and I get to share them here. I'm your host, Jan, and I present to you Tales from El Buo. Hey everybody, I recorded this over a year ago and I'm just now getting it out there. And I wanted to say that Celine has continued to practice immigration law and she's continued to climb and she came back to Mexico this season. And so I hope you enjoy it. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of Tales from El Buo. And as always, I want to remind you that we are recording from the Buo, so you will hear perhaps um, some noise, background noise, coffee grinding, and there's a pretty spirited game of Settlers of Catan happening in the next room over. So just want to remind everybody about that. I am Jan, and I'm really excited about today's episode. I have Celine Wolasichuk here. And hi, Celine. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Thanks, Jan. Thank you so much for coming. Celine has been here pretty much this whole season on and off, and I haven't really gotten much chance to talk to her in depth, so I'm really, really excited about that. Um, Celine, where are you from to start with? So that's a good question. I never know how to answer that. Originally, I'm from Edmonton, Alberta, but I'm living in Vancouver, BC, except for this winter, apparently, because as Jen said, I've spent most of it in Mexico. So when you came here, that wasn't your plan? When I came here, I was planning to stay for a week to 10 days. I had climbed outdoors six times in my life. I was mostly coming with a friend who didn't want to travel alone, and it was sort of a why not type of adventure. And I got pretty hooked on the place, ended up staying for over a month tried to go back home and that failed miserably so now I'm back working remotely and climbing. What do you mean it failed miserably? What was it that failed for you? Winter was gross. The COVID situation in Canada was exploding at the time and I figured that being back here in Mexico would just give me a lot more scope to do other things with my life. Mm -hmm. How's that been so far? It's been great. I mean, the first week that I came back when it was approximately zero degrees and there was no indoor heating, I was questioning all of my life choices. But since then, it's been lovely. The community here is amazing. I am so lucky to be able to climb this much. I'm usually in on those games of Settlers of Catan. So there's really just so much that this place has to offer. So, Celine. You'd only climbed outside six times or seven times before. Yes. You were gym gym climber then. Exactly. I was a gym boulderer primarily. I'd gotten into that as a pandemic era hobby. Really? No climbing before that? 
I'd climbed on a rope a handful of times. Uh-huh. What yeah. was what were your main hobbies before sport hobbies, I guess, before that? I grew up playing soccer. I've done quite a bit of horseback riding. I'm a runner, I'll run every morning. So kind of all over the board. Mm-hmm. And not outdoorsy though. Like woods I, kind of stuff. I do enjoy hiking. I never grew up camping or any of that. So no, I don't own a tent or any of that. Mm-hmm. Do you have an apartment or a house in Canada? I have a room in a house with three roommates. Yeah. Okay. Although this is kind of the big tester trip to see if I want to maintain a lease or if I start being a bit more nomadic because I've done a lot of that in the past too. I haven't been in the same place for more than two years since I finished high school, I figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know if you were a completely settled person and all of a sudden you're uprooting and deciding this is what you want or if you're, you know, have been kind of nomadic beforehand. I've been too settled for the past couple of years because of COVID, but everyone who knows me well was just kind of waiting for me to disappear again and wondering where it would be. Yeah, so what's interesting to me is that you are an attorney, like an immigration attorney. You have a grown-up job. You know, not everybody that lives the nomadic life or the van life or that comes here for a long period of time has a grown-up job. I I hate to use that term, but that's what they use. Um, You know, a career, a professional career. You do. I do have a grown-up job, and it still kind of shocks me at some point because I am such a nomad that I didn't necessarily see myself settling down to something like that. I went to law school, not sure if I wanted to actually practice law or use my experience more toward the policy side of things. And then I found the field that I practice in now, the firm that I practice at now, and I love the work. I love the people I work with. I love the impact that my work has. And I am just unbelievably lucky to be able to do something like that and lead the lifestyle that I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you were you working remotely before COVID or? No, we were all in office. And then with COVID, we eventually went remote. We tried to do a hybrid model for a bit too. And so we do still have a physical office. And when I'm in Vancouver, I can go in and book spots there. And it's always lovely to see everyone. But I haven't been there since November, give or take. Mm-hmm. And you've been, when you went back home and it was winter, when you went back to Canada and it was winter, did you go into the office then and try or? I didn't. I was actually primarily in Edmonton where my family lives. So that was a bit of a shock to the system too, going from 30 degree weather here in Mexico to minus 30 degree Celsius weather in Edmonton. Right. And then you came back here and it was cold, which a lot of people don't know that Mexico gets Right. All of my Edmonton friends said, oh, I'm so jealous you'll be going to sit on the beach. There's no beaches anywhere to be seen here. I saw snowflakes on my morning run one morning. So it's not Edmonton, but it's not necessarily warm either. Yeah, I think the fact that we don't have indoor heat and our buildings are cinder block with no um, insulation really affects that right we we tell ourselves it's good for the appetite we're hungry all the time because we're using so much body heat so I suppose there's that on the bright side that's true now this time you came back by yourself yes I did 
And how has that been being a woman traveling alone? I have traveled alone a fair bit as a woman before, and I love it so much. I think the key is having a good community and a good hostel scene. And I think that even if you have a travel companion who you get along with really well and who is really sociable, there's just something that can't be matched about traveling alone that opens you up to meeting new people and really establishing one-on-one connections in a way that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Mm-hmm. What, where have you been traveling? <laughs> That's a great question. I've lived in France three times in the Netherlands once, so around most of Western Europe, really, as well as I did a big trip through the Balkans. So we're talking Bulgaria, Macedonia, Albania, Montenegro, Bosnia, Serbia. That was a lovely area of the world. I was also told that might be a little bit dangerous as a woman, which it wasn't at all. I was I felt a lot safer there than I did in a lot of bigger Western European capitals. I have been to South Africa and Morocco and Asia. I've only hit Taiwan and Hong Kong, but I'd love to do a big Asia trip at some point in the not too distant future. And it's interesting too, because a lot of my travels have come from a place of, I've hit the biggest spots that I want to by now. And so it just depends who is going where, when, and I'll take advantage of opportunities that I can. So. About two weeks before I came here in the first place, Mexico hadn't been on my radar at all. And then I had a friend who wanted to go work remotely and just found out that there was climbing here. And so, again, it was sort of a why not thing, and it clearly worked out. Yeah, for sure. Do you think you'll come back here next season or in seasons to come? I definitely want to. I could see myself back here November-ish, sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. And this time, stay, not go back exactly Mm -hmm. yes what a surprise for you yeah it really is I packed for you know some beaching I had some swimsuits some nice clothes all I really needed was more grungy climbing clothes right (laughs) so have you been able to keep working while you're here I have, and it's been a great opportunity, too, to meet people from other countries who might be looking to immigrate to Canada, especially because at home, everything is currently remote. There's no real in-person networking events. So this is a good way to connect with people who I might be able to help out. Mm-hmm. And I've been working a lot of the time that I spend here. I've been working at the Buo. So I have been asked if I work here by this point in time. And I effectively do. I just don't work for the cafe. Yeah. But it's been really lovely. You just work You just work here. Exactly. <laughs> what kind of... I, I want to talk a little bit about your the immigration's uh, I'd love to. issue in Canada. Because I'm, Ameri- I'm American, United yeah. States American. And I live in Mexico. And yeah. I... I know the desire of Mexicans to go Mexicans to go to the United States. Canada is on their radar though yes. because Canada requires less, I believe. Do you know a lot about that like what the Canadians require for Mexicans wanting to immigrate? So, I can't tell you anything about immigration to the states, but I mean to Canada. Right, but uh-huh. as for immigration to Canada for a Mexican, it's not really any different than 
for anyone coming from any other country, right? So say, for example, you're looking to come on a work permit. In Canada, we have something called a labor market impact assessment, which is basically a fancy way of saying that you find an employer in Canada and then they submit this application for you that shows that no Canadian or permanent resident of Canada is currently able and available to do the job that you are hiring for. So in that case, you get authorization from Service Canada to hire a temporary foreign worker. They prove that they meet all of the job requirements. There's an advertising process too to make sure that no Canadian or permanent resident is qualified for the position and applying to it. And then if that labor market impact assessment goes through, you can apply for a work permit based off of that. So that would traditionally be a two-year work permit and that would be tied to the employer that hired you and that clearly needed you. In Canada. What about someone just wanting to move there? So you can definitely move to Canada on a temporary basis as a visitor. You Traditionally, when coming on some sort of temporary status, so that would be student, worker, or visitor, you have to show that you will return to your home country at the end of your authorized stay. So it's nice to be able to show a lot of ties to the home country. And so you can look at coming to Canada on a more temporary basis. And then if you accumulate, for example, work experience in Canada and fall in love with the country, that work experience makes it easier to apply for permanent residence down the line. Mm -hmm. Is your job mainly helping people immigrate to Canada? Yes, it is. So I'll do all the temporary residents that I just mentioned. I'll do a lot of permanent residence applications too. I think one of my favorites is the spousal sponsorship applications, a spouse or common law partner, where my job is essentially just to prove the relationship between these two people who often have such a fascinating story. I bet they do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you Have you ever seen that TV show uh, in the States about 90 Day Fiancé? I have not. I am notoriously terrible when it comes to TV. Oh, well, it's it's following the stories of people falling in love, usually over mm-hmm. the Internet. Yeah. Not always. Yeah. And then them bringing them to the United States or that person going to live in the other country. Right. They've never done U.S., Canada. I guess it's too close. It's usually something like Tunisia and the U.S. or... Uganda or something, you know, pretty extreme. It is a little bit limited too in that you can apply through this class if you're a spouse (laughs) or a common law partner. So either you're married or you have been living together for at least a year and you have the documentation to prove it. And this would be theoretically a way in which people can maybe fake some information and try to get into Canada that way. So these applications are subject to pretty rigorous scrutiny. There's interviews with the immigration department if necessary. And so that's part of what makes them so fascinating is we have to provide a lot of proof. And so you get to help couples assemble photos from throughout their relationships and just really put all those flourishes on their story. That sounds like fun. It really is. I love it. Have you ever had something just super challenging? You know, like they keep getting denied or something where you really had to make it work really, really hard to make it work and then it worked? 
I can't say that I have experienced repeated denials. I've only been in practice for about a year and a half. And unfortunately, processing times are so long. There's a lot of red tape and delays that I'm only starting to see some of the applications that I've worked on come back. But one of my favorite things about my job is when we have a case that might be a bit difficult to make we need to ask for an exception of some sort or there's a relationship that's non-traditional in some way and we have to pull on the case law and previous decisions and really argue why we see things the way that we do and why this person should ultimately be accepted as a permanent resident of Canada or whatever it is that they are applying for or it can be as simple as why someone's child should be exempted from a medical requirement. Mm -hmm. What made you decide this branch of law? So like I said I've lived in France and the Netherlands and having been a temporary immigrant especially in countries where in the Netherlands I didn't speak the language mm -hmm. It's hard to navigate the system. It's overwhelming to come in and see a million things online and know nothing about where to start. So that's one aspect of it. And then I like working directly with people who I can impact. I'm not as interested in the more traditional big corporate firm law. I wanted to work with individuals who I can relate to. So this seems like a really great fit for me. I took some courses in law school in the Netherlands, like crime and migration that piqued my interest in the area a bit too. And then I was so lucky to find Quadro Law, the firm that I practice at now that does primarily immigration and the people were a really great fit for me as well. So honestly, I couldn't be happier with that match. It is a humanitarian type law. It is, yeah. And you're not dealing with, you know, traffic tickets. Well, I'm sure you do sometimes, but you're not dealing with things that are, I mean, this is someone's life you're talking about, you know? I think one thing that differentiates what I practice from most areas of law is I deal with happy people. They're excited to come to Canada. They haven't just been charged with criminal offenses. They're right. not, you know, trying to sue someone. These are people who are at a great place in their lives a lot of times. That That is exciting. It is. So it's really rewarding work for you. Is it something you want to do forever? Like this is your career. You're not really thinking about changing anything. It's hard to say forever about anything in life, but this is something I see myself doing for the foreseeable future. I don't see any reason why I would want to stop that. Right. Is it a very expensive thing? Uh, not not your not talking about you but like for someone to immigrate to Canada is it an expensive process because like here in Mexico it's definitely more convenient for me to live as a tourist than to go through the process of becoming resident right so you're looking at fees upwards of a thousand dollars to have a full application for permanent residence processed a work permit is a hundred fifty five dollars Canadian plus an extra hundred if you are applying for an open work permit which is a work permit not tied to any specific employer those are only available in certain situations 
If you want to apply for a visitor record, that'll be a $100 charge. So that's, for example, if you as an American wanted to come to Canada for more than six months at a time, you would need that visitor record. But in general, those costs aren't exorbitant, especially if you think that, say, an application for permanent residence is, if it's approved, that's a one-time fee, and then you are a permanent resident of Canada. And the only way in which you would really lose that, barring criminality or something, is if you spend a certain amount of time outside of the country in the first little while. Sure. And for you, as an attorney practicing that and right now being out of the country, does that affect you at all? I can't say that it does. We weren't meeting with clients in person before anyway, again, due to the pandemic. It's been interesting just to see, meet people from other places, see how things work here in Mexico. And I think that makes me more informed too about my country and how it works and putting it in perspective a bit. So how many languages do you speak? I speak English and French fluently. I speak passable German, or I would if I brushed it up a little bit. I had some Italian once upon a time. I would need a refresher on that too. And then my Dutch is supermarket level and at best. I can Mm -hmm. get by buying a few groceries or ordering food. That's always important, right? I would love now that I've found this spot in Mexico for Spanish to be my next project. That sounds like a really good project. I think so. Thank I agree. You. I think that's necessary. Would you say that most of your client? where are most of your clients from? I don't know that we have a most. I help clients from Mexico. I help clients from the United States. I've had a recent client from France. We'll get clients from India, South Africa. It the UK. I've worked with some refugees from Iraq. So it it really depends. And Mm -hmm. I'm always excited to work with someone from somewhere new and learn more about where they're coming from. When you spend time with these people, do you get to really know them and their story? And to a certain extent, as much as one can over email often. And I love figuring out who a client is over email and having their personalities start to shine through more and more. I have one client who will often send me various emojis that crack me up. And yeah. it's, it's a really friendly way of communicating often, I find. And everything has to be through email? It doesn't have to be through email, but we do tend to do that more than we'll speak over the phone because that way... A lot of my job is to ask for certain documents and information, and that way they have it all in writing, what they need to provide me with. Mm -hmm. And then do you get paid, as an attorney, you get paid per case? So I am a fully independent contractor, which is great. It gives me the flexibility to do what I do, and we bill most of our files on a fixed fee basis. So you would see in TV shows a lot of hourly billing, those six-minute increments. We don't generally do that. So I would charge you a fixed fee for a permanent residence application. If we submit that and then the immigration department comes back to us requiring further things for the application, that's included in the fees we've already charged you as well. So there's basically, it costs X dollars for us to see this application through to the best of our ability. Occasionally, if you want something smaller done, a letter to argue something at the border, for example, 
then we can bill on an hourly basis as well. But so how my setup works is I'll work toward X amount of monthly billings and then I have some extra time on my hands if I so choose to spend in Mexico climbing right. or whatever else. Right. Now, how is the attitude? I, I'll just be honest. In yeah. the United States, there's an attitude towards immigrants. Um, yes. That's a negative, a negative attitude towards certain immigrants, I should say. But I'll, I'll speak knowing as it is in Mexico, like, I see on the news all the time, the Texas news, that talks about these immigrants taking our jobs, and they're yeah. usually talking about South and Central Americans. How is the attitude in Canada as a whole? I know I, we're generalizing big time, but what do you perceive of, because I always think of Canadians as so friendly, what do you perceive there? I would like to think it's very friendly and welcoming. I am also privileged because I grew up in an environment where about three quarters of my junior high and high school classmates were first or second generation immigrants. So for me, it's just so such a normal part of life. And I think that makes our society a lot richer. If we all came from the same background, that would be boring. So again, I would like to think that we're quite open and welcoming. Growing up in Edmonton, we had a festival called Heritage Days in the summer that celebrates local song, dance, performances, costumes, food, things like that. But I also can't speak to it as an immigrant personally. Sure. I wonder. It would be interesting. I mean, I talked to Fred earlier this season who uh, his family immigrated to Canada. You met Fred. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And he had a very positive experience, except that he and his sister were the only immigrants in their school and that right. was tough as kids yeah. you know for them but I didn't know my I don't have my finger on the pulse of Canadian attitudes towards that kind of thing and I mean it's from my understanding too it's very different in a big city like where I live in Vancouver now it's very international but if you're looking at small farming towns that's going to be a lot different of a population makeup that's true. That's true. And do you know, are this, you probably don't know offhand <laughs> all the statistics, but where are most of the, where do immigrants tend to want, come from in Canada? You know? I honestly couldn't tell you. Mm -hmm. there, we do, we get immigrants, at least in my job, from pretty much all over. And that's part of what I love. I don't, right. I wouldn't want to be working with just one population. I think that would make things start to feel a bit too routine. Sure. Well, and I guess on your side, it doesn't matter where they're coming from. You don't have different restrictions, or do you, with... We don't really. There are a couple of things where it does matter where you're from. For example, we have a program called International Experience Canada, which is for younger people to come to Canada on two-year work permits. Mm -hmm. And that's only available to citizens of certain countries. But for the majority of applications, where you're from doesn't affect anything. Do At least in theory, we do find a lot of application refusals that are fairly arbitrary from certain countries, but that's another story. Right, and it's not official. It's not official, no. There are just stats on application denials. They tend to be particularly bad from India, Pakistan, South Africa, for example. Interesting. Yeah. Because I know in, in the States, after 
you know, there's certain countries that cannot come, like basically do not come, right? You know, and yeah. I, Canada, also has had its own share of you know issues with terrorism, but not. I think it's more been domestic, you know, than yeah. foreign terrorism. I, I can only think of a few things, and 9/11 definitely affected Canada too, it's our neighbors. But I didn't know if that was something that you guys dealt with, where this person coming from Egypt is going to have a lot harder time proving they're not a terrorist. Like in our country, my country, they basically have to prove that. I mean, we don't have to prove that you're not a terrorist, which is quite nice, but I do think there is still room for improvement in the system based on removing some bias sometimes, depending on where the applicant is coming from. Mm -hmm. I also think of Canada. When I think of Canada, I think of just, you know, the most polite, kind people. But recently, there have been some issues like the truckers and um, really strict COVID laws and rules and how has that affected you it's interesting because i decided to escape for to mexico for a lot of that and so i wasn't around when everything happened with the truckers i am of mixed feelings on all of the covid restrictions i understand where they're necessary sometimes i also understand the desire to just have life move on especially if people are going to get it anyway but i do think that at this point things like mandatory vaccination are completely reasonable we do we need life to move on and we need to find a way to enable that and this is an exceptional time in world history. It's unprecedented. None of us really know how to deal with it. So we're all just doing our best. Mm-hmm. And except for maybe the truckers, but that's that's another story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just surprised me, I think, cuz I never expected that to happen. Yeah. Cuz Canada, nice sweet, <laughs> nice sweet apologetic Canadians. You know that uh, it's like kind of a joke in the USA. It, it I'm is. Sorry, and I'm sorry. <laughs> it is. And yet I do find myself, you know, I have this, I'm sorry. That means excuse me. I have the, I'm sorry. That means I, I am legitimately sorry. I have the, I'm sorry. That means you're in my way. Please move now. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? Remember, I remember when you first came, we were talking about it with you and um, Celeste. Celeste. And you said that you realized, or maybe she did when you asked how to say it in Spanish. Yeah. Because then you realize that you say it a lot. I do. I say it quite a bit. <laughs> I, I love it. It's. I think, it, you know, there's a lot of um, funny sketches in the U.S. about the, yeah. the nice apologetic Canadians, you know. I do hear differences in my accent sometimes, too. I've been called out for how much I say not A so much, but maybe hey. I'll take a sentence, stick a hey on the end, and make it into a question. <laughs> I, I love that you have been traveled so much, though, and I love that I didn't know that about you, that you've lived in other countries, and you're pretty young. How old are you? 29. Okay, so yeah. you've had a great life experience so far. I really have. The first time that I lived abroad, I was 20 to 21. I took a year off of university midway through undergrad 
to take advantage of an opportunity to go teach English in France through the French Embassy. And one of my first reactions was, okay, I really want to do this, but do I want to put myself behind a year? And then I started thinking, behind what? Because in grade school, it yeah. kind of matters to be the same age as your peers. I was one of the youngest in my grade, and that was always kind of exciting. But as soon as you become an adult, I think you're more behind if you don't take the time to have some of those life experiences sometimes. Mm -hmm. Now, when you came here, had you been around a lot of van life people before? Or is this kind of a, it's a shock to the system when you I had I had not at all. I had one friend from home, climber friend, who lived out of a van in Squamish. But having just gotten into the climbing community, my first time climbing outdoors was this past August. It was a totally new idea to me. Mm-hmm. Is that something you're thinking about? It's attractive in a lot of ways. I think I like some of my creature comforts and my roommates a bit too much to want to commit to something like that at least anytime soon. But do I want to have a lot of friends who have vans and will maybe drive me around for climbing trips? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So what are you thinking for your next climbing trip? That's a great question. I haven't really thought that far ahead, to be honest. I've been enjoying being here in Mexico and just being in the moment. I might find myself in Skaha in Interior, BC in April. That is a spot that I climbed in in the fall, and that was lovely. I've had red rocks floated out to me as an idea, so maybe I'll be there in a couple of months. And even though I'm from Vancouver and we have Squamish an hour north of us, I've only climbed there three times. So I'm excited to check that scene out this summer too. Yeah, that's more like your home crag, really. EPC here in Mexico is for sure my home crag now because this is where I have grown and learned as a climber. Yeah, for sure. And what have you been getting on while you've been here? So it was interesting. I came here knowing very little about the sport, really, not knowing that multi-pitches were a big thing here, which is funny. I was just listening to the podcast that you recorded with Frank, Jan, and he said, you know, come, please, knowing what you're getting into. And I didn't at all, but I was lucky enough to have so many lovely people, some of whom work here at the Buo, take me under their wing, teach me how to multi-pitch and all of the how-tos. And so I was fairly strong as an inexperienced climber, but I now have a lot of the technique to back that up as well. So uh, the first long multi-pitch I got on was Estrita. That was absolutely amazing. We made it up just in time for sunset. No thanks to me as I accidentally led an extra half pitch and had to lower again but it was a fun experience and then uh, I think my favorite multi-pitch to date has been pitch black Mm -hmm. which I got to go up on my birthday as well that was a perfect day in all respects I recently did access denied which was a short little four pitch that one was amazing 
treasure of the Sierra Madre would be up there on my list as well. I could go on to. So you're climbing 10s and 11s? I can climb a 10 clean, uh, some of the 10s anyhow. I love to top rope the 11s and I just made it up my first 12A on a top rope recently. I have another that I'm working on, so hopefully that'll go soon. That is so exciting. Thank you. When you got here, what were you doing? What was your grade? I don't know that I really had a grade. I don't know that I'd climbed enough to have one. Mm -hmm. But you had been gym climbing and you were strong. I'd been gym bouldering, gym so bouldering, I'll right. do V2s and V3s in the gym. Mm -hmm. But you can definitely tell that you've improved in technique and knowledge and strength while you've been here. Exactly. It's been amazing, and I think that's part of what has made me stay for so long, too, is I was getting so much better so quickly. Right, and it helps that you've had really... I've known I've seen you climb with a lot of different people on your Instagram I guess or that you it seems like you've had a good amount of people mentoring you with it I've had some amazing mentors and I've been lucky enough that people who I now consider really good friends took me under their wing when they hardly knew me at all they just knew how inexperienced I was and they're coming in you know, with 18 years of climbing experience or having been at the World Youth Championships as a climber, and yet they're happy to climb with me. And I'm so stoked about that. That is really great. What would you recommend to someone coming? I came with no rope and no quick draws and knowing very little. And I think if you are going to do that you need to be open to meeting people to working with their systems to maybe having some non-climbing days when people are going out in other groups or getting on harder things but it was totally workable i would not hesitate to come here alone in the future mm -hmm. and, but you would have prepared by bringing those things I haven't had an issue so far it would be nice to be able to provide the rope sometimes though I do now own eight quick draws so right. we're working up there <laughs> yeah I've slowly accumulated things yeah. as I I mean it's an expensive sport too I mean a rope's expensive and then it's something to carry around and it's heavy yeah. and I don't know if you flew down, right? Right. That's been part of my issue is if you're doing the van life thing, you have a lot more room and weight to bring equipment. Whereas I'm living out of a backpack. I have no checked luggage right now. Wow. If you it's come fun. Back, I love it. Yeah, you're really... If you come back, though, would you bring maybe think about bringing your car and, and doing it that way? It would be an awfully long drive from BC. So I honestly yeah. haven't thought that far ahead. That's true. It would be. I wonder how far it is. Maybe if I can hitch a ride with someone, that would be an option. Right. I mean, I know a lot of people come here from there. They do. One of my best climbing partners is from BC as well. So, Did you know them before? No, not at all. Right. Staying at the same hostel as I am, we climbed together a couple of times in December. I came back and we figured out that we were both still around. And now we spend a lot of time together, whether that's climbing or playing board games or drinking margaritas afterwards. Yeah. Do you feel like this has changed anything in your life, like moving here for this season? I think it's been validating that this is still the lifestyle that I... I'm attached to. I think I did really well during the 
onset of the pandemic, in a lot of ways, I found this job that I'm absolutely in love with. I got into climbing as a hobby, but it hit me hard in other ways, and I hadn't realized quite how badly until I got out to travel again. Was it just feeling stuck? Feeling stuck. I had some travel plans and some travel plans specifically with international friends that fell through. And life just felt so boring in one note sometimes. I am 29 years old and I wanted to be doing more with it and having more adventures on Mm -hmm. a more regular basis. When you were growing up, did you travel a lot? I was really lucky to vacation a lot with my family. Maui in Hawaii was one of their favorite spots. I've been to Disneyland and Disney World as a kid. That was quite magical. But it wasn't a more adventurous type of traveling. So it's funny now. My family went back to Hawaii on the same day that I came to Mexico. We actually got to give each other hugs in the Vancouver airport and then go off to our separate adventures. I was going to ask you, what do they think about you and your adventure travels? They wouldn't want to come to Mexico anytime soon, as far as I know, and climb here. Except I think my dad wants to get in on these Catan tournaments. Oh, really? Uh, But besides that, they're happy to do the beach thing in Hawaii, and I'm happy to climb in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And what what was your perspective, or what were your thoughts about Mexico before before you came to Mexico? What did you expect and what was different? I came in with very little in the way of expectations. I booked the trip eight days before I flew out on a one-way ticket, so I hadn't had a lot of time to get too much in my head about it. But I think I was surprised by how friendly and welcoming the local community is, especially as someone who's really struggling to communicate in basic Spanish. I do need to get on acquiring more of that. But for example, I'll go out on my morning run in the morning and everyone wants to wave, say hi, do something. And it's just, it is, it's a really welcoming community. And I give them a ton of credit for that too, because we come in as foreigners with our own ways and habits and preconceived notions and flood their community for several months a year and yet they're just so lovely and give us rides around town in the back of their pickup trucks and all of that Mm -hmm. I did see you running yesterday running in the canyon when I was with my students how far do you run in do you run all the way to the tree? Depends example? on the day. I've run to the tree. We have the 600-year-old tree a f- handful of times. It'll often be in the 8 to 11-kilometer range. Every day? More days than not. I skipped it once to get on an early multi-pitch. If I'm tired, I'll do a bit of a shorter run. Mm-hmm. And are you staying at Rancho Sendero? Yes, I am. And what would you say about that? I... I'm so excited to be staying there. That's where I stayed when I came down in the fall. There are potentially cheaper options, but I think the community there and at La Posada is pretty unparalleled. And this is now where I have a lot of my people. And it's a very comfortable place to live as well. Do you think that you'll stay in touch with the the tribe of people that you've gotten gotten to be a part of here? I do, at least the most important ones. I have... 
a few good friends from the climbing season in the fall who I still talk to quite a bit and would love to climb with again sooner rather than later next season if not before then during the summer in BC I have a climbing partner from November who's about to come back down here in a week or so I think I've been really lucky to to have the crew that works at the Buo here as constants throughout the season. So I've spent several months around them at this point and they've turned into great climbing partners and I think it would be silly to let those connections totally drop off. How do you see yourself though as in like a woman my age? Like would you, I'm 58, <laughs> um, would you still think that you'll be living your you know, climbing life. I know it's hard to, hard to predict, but is that something you would desire or? I hope so. I am pretty hooked on climbing right now and I don't see that fading away for any particular reason. I also, that seems like a long time in the future. So who knows sure. what other opportunities will present themselves before mm -hmm. then and what other adventures I'll be able to take advantage of and hobbies I'll be able to get into. Right. I mean, climbing, obviously, it seems like took you by surprise. It did, yeah. That's such a great surprise, though. I'm glad. No regrets about that at all. And how about uh, Celeste? Has she thought about coming back? So Celeste is the girl who I came down here with in November, and I've been trying to convince her to come back to join me, although she's currently living her best beach life in Puerto Escondido, so maybe next season we'll come back down oh, together. Oh, she's still in Mexico. She is, yes. Oh, well, yeah, Puerto Escondido I hear is amazing. I haven't yeah, been there. I haven't either. I've never been anywhere in Mexico besides here, and I've had people tell me it's a little bit ridiculous to be here for multiple months and not see somewhere else but here's pretty great yeah it really is it really is but it this country is such yeah. a beautiful country but and it's it, a big country exactly and I do have so many more adventures to be having here but at this point I want to take advantage of that climbing growth curve as much as I can mm -hmm. and all of the people I have here right now now, when you think about your future travel plans, yeah. is it based around climbing? I wouldn't say based around climbing. I would say influenced by climbing. I will travel to climb, but I'm not one of those climbers who will no longer travel for anything else. I love big cities. I love the culture and just all the different experiences that you can have. When you go on a trip, when you plan a trip, do you plan it out or do you just say I'm going there I had someone the other day tell me about an excel document that they were using to plan a trip and that kind of trip planning kind of terrifies me I will be the person who packed for a week in Poland the night before doesn't speak the language knows a couple things I want to see there and then figures it out as I get there I more recently just before the pandemic hit I went on a big trip around the Balkans for two and a half weeks where we just kind of booked things day by day and that was an incredible experience I would love to do more of that I was on a bus from Bulgaria into the capital of Macedonia, Skopje, and we met two friends on the bus who had pretty minimal English but raved about this tiny little town called Orid that was lakeside full of medieval ruins. So two days later we found ourselves in Orid because why not? Oh, that sounds so great. It was. Yeah, I like that kind of openness, but I didn't know if you were someone that 
some people really do plan like the excel sheet i used to be more of a planner and then as i started traveling alone more and more i figured out that a lot of what really makes a trip is the people who i meet and i would like the flexibility to meet good people and then be able to travel with them whereas if they're going in one direction and i'm going in the other and i have things booked so i'm missing out on that obviously mm-hmm And so now that you're working remotely, you can travel more. Right. It gives me a ton of flexibility. As a student, I would have an academic break to work with and then a return flight from a certain city that I had to make. But that's no longer the case. Do you think you guys will ever go back to in-office? Not fully, no. It's nice to have the option to be in office, but we've committed at this point to being a remote workplace. And so that's great for all of us in the office to be able to go on longer trips or maybe live outside of Vancouver proper, which is quite expensive. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I wonder, I think the pandemic has changed so much of people's work life, you know, do you enjoy it more since you are not stuck in an office? I would say I do overall. I, again, am so lucky to do this. That said, I miss my coworkers. I think they're all amazing people. I miss those daily interactions, the funny little things that would happen, the random trips around downtown together. So I think there is a human dynamic that we miss out on. And I think In a remote workplace, it's really important to organize events, catch-ups, things that aren't work once in a while. Mm -hmm. But online events? Online events or events in Vancouver for those of us who are in the city. We've kind of put that a bit on hold due to COVID. But when I decided to stay down here for quite a while in December, I missed out on our staff Christmas party, which was in person. And I was upset about that. But you win some, you lose some. Right. How many people work with you? We have three lawyers in our firm. And then we have two case managers. We have an administrative assistant who works remotely. And then we have a couple of people who help us with more of the bookkeeping and stuff as well. So we're quite a small firm. That's nice. It's lovely. And it means that we really know each other and care about each other as people as Mm -hmm. well. What do they think about your adventure travels? It's the loveliest environment, really. I will, they'll ask for updates, and so I will send our office chat photos of climbing and adventures around Mexico and tease them about the weather here as it continues to rain in Vancouver. Oh, yeah, right. And it has been, now, here we're in a serious drought, though. I don't know if you knew that. I was not aware of that. Yeah, um, they're actually going to start cutting water to the towns for days at a time we're we're in a very it's very serious it's usually not this dry okay because it hasn't rained no it hasn't for the past probably month at least just sprinkles like this morning it was a little little bit yeah a little little bit we nothing like vancouver i still ran in a tank top this morning (laughs) yeah yeah exactly i saw something i guess were you cupped yesterday or something like you had a mark on your neck like i was anna here at the buo did some cupping on my back i had a bit of a neck injury the other day from climbing too much fancy that so i've had some lovely people here who've done everything from cupping to 
to massages to organizing a Catan tournament to distract me to carrying my bags around the market. Oh, good. How are you feeling? I'm feeling a lot better. I did try to climb yesterday with moderate success until I tried to do a climb that was all arms and decided to back off so as not to re-injure myself and take myself out for more than a couple days. Yeah, let's not do that. No. Since you're here. Exactly. Yeah, I I should return to my life back in Vancouver at some point anyhow, explore the climbing there. But that just will make me look forward to next season here too. Yeah, for sure. Um, what about your future? Like you said, you've gotten to go almost everywhere you wanted to go. Uh, let let me put a caveat on that I've gone a lot of places that were at the top of my list I was always intrigued by Paris and then I got to go there as a tourist and then I got to move there so that was pretty great as a kid I had an author who set some of her books in Vienna and so Vienna had always seemed very magical to me you know I was that kid who people ask where do you want to go everyone else would say Disney World I would say Vienna so I have I've been lucky enough to go to a lot of those big ticket places but that said I would love to see most places I am very poorly traveled in Asia I'm relatively poorly traveled in my own country to be honest Mm -hmm. I still have a pretty insatiable travel itch for new places as well as places I've already been to what's your favorite place you've ever been That's a hard one. See, I am biased. I had a really great time living in Paris as well as Leiden in the Netherlands. It's about 35 minutes by train outside of Amsterdam, 11 outside of The Hague. And I think both of those, a lot of why they're so precious to me is, again, the people I had there. It always comes back to that. But both of those feel a lot like home and are pretty unparalleled because of some of the experiences that I've had there. Mm -hmm. Do you plan on doing any big trips next year? I have no plans yet. I have hopes and aspirations and I'm sure I will be doing big trips where and with whom and when is to be determined. Yeah, I was going to ask, how do you decide? That's a good question. I Lately it's been just where do I have opportunities to if I'm moving abroad then where can I get cheaply from there and who's going where or if I am leaving Canada like in November again who's going where to do something interesting because let's be honest I could go to Puerto Escondido and sit on the beach for a couple days and then I think I would get bored of the beach life I tend to be a very active person I don't sit still very well and I like to be doing things so anywhere that offers good company and more new things to explore one of the projects that's been on my radar for the past while is Australia and New Zealand Australia in particular but I would need a good chunk of time to go down do that properly I know it's a long trip and then yeah you want to make it worth it exactly so see everywhere right and if you're working Mm mm-hmm you have to work. I do. It's a blessing and a curse to work remotely. I am so lucky to be able to do it. And yet there are so many demands on my time. So I think my saving grace is that I do really love my job. And so I enjoy putting the time into work and seeing the results of that. Mm-hmm. 
Would you rec- what would you recommend for somebody that's a, a young woman, a young, well, yeah, you're young, a young woman that's thinking about traveling, maybe had this on her radar but was afraid? What would you recommend, you know, for starting point for her? Baby steps. The first time that I traveled alone, I went to a Christmas market in France over the weekend. And I brought my book as a security blanket. I read quite a lot. And so if you've got a book in your purse or a book on your phone or however you like to do that, you're never going to be bored or at a loss. Go take yourself to a restaurant and maybe you'll sit there with your book. Or I've just sat at the bar and had fascinating conversations with local bar bartenders too so go on go on a short adventure be open to what happens introduce yourself to people at your hostel or who you meet on walking tours and some of those people have become some of my closest friends right did it take courage for you were you ever scared I was I grew up a little bit afraid of life in some ways as an introvert not very social in high school and then the first time that I moved to France I thought I would maybe just travel alone with my book and that would be cool and I'd see some nice museums and get some more culture that way and I did but I was surprised at how many very interesting people I met and so the more I started opening up to people the more it was rewarding and made me into the extrovert that I am today I think yeah because you said you're an introvert and I'm like I don't think you're an introvert at all (laughs) people laugh at me now when I say that yeah it's hard to picture but that was me once upon a time well for those who can't see you and have never seen you I mean you're you're small in stature (laughs) but you know large inside in personality and that's really interesting I wonder if being a smaller person made you shy you know when you were younger or something that I feel like it's probably not as hard on a girl as it is on a guy. For me, I didn't, I feel like that didn't have anything to do with it. It was more just my personality at the time. I do feel like if I were a boy and, well, a man and five feet tall now or a smaller boy growing up, I would have been picked on for that a bit. Yeah, earlier when you were standing next to Walter, who's probably six, two or six three and probably you're, somewhere you're five in there feet. I'm five feet on the dot yeah wow I mean you're just this little powerhouse little thing and it's just really fun to see because we don't I mean you're you're strong but it is challenging especially in the climbing I think you know what we were talking about earlier reach um yeah the differences between a six foot two man six foot three man and a I mean I'm not gonna lie I'm pretty jealous of some of the reaches that Walter can make on climbs but that said as a shorter climber I've developed some interesting technique that I might not have otherwise occasionally I can fit in yesterday one of my climbing partners Ryan was trying to convince me to knee bar in this spot where his legs would be way too long to fit in so I do have little perks like that but I think as much as I'm very happy to be a travel-sized person let's say (laughs) climbing is the one spot where sometimes I'm pretty jealous of those taller people yeah fun size you're fun size exactly (laughs) (laughs) I love it because yeah I mean you're just so cute you're adorable thanks Jen um and I love that you are 
like fully woman though. Like you're like strong woman, even though you're five feet tall, you know? It's I, I think especially coming into traveling alone as a woman and the practice of law in a field where a lot depends on what I do at work. I need to be capable to, for my own sake and for that of my clients. Mm -hmm. Your confidence though, where does it come from? My confidence, that's a good question. I think it's just been a growing curve. I'm sorry that I don't really have a better answer for you there, but I think that throughout my 20s, I've had a lot of weird different life experiences and figured out who I am as a person and how to deal with stressful situations and how to really rely on myself and those people that I know I can trust. That's really great. I, I, the reason I ask that is I think that it requires a lot of confidence to do what you're doing. Well, thank you. I think the more life experiences that I've had, the more set it's made me for other life experiences. I remember one particular day in law school, everyone stressing, no, I shouldn't say everyone, many people stressing out of their minds about a first year exam. And I thought, you know what? I've been lost in Spain where I don't speak the language. I've been pickpocketed in Brussels. Those were stressful situations. This is not a stressful situation, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. So have you ever felt in danger when you're traveling? I mean, pickpocketing is not necessarily feeling in danger, but have you ever felt in danger? I have never felt in danger of my life or serious injury, if that's kind of what we're talking mm -hmm. about. I've felt pretty harassed in a few different situations, but nothing that I haven't felt able to deal with and learn from as well. I went to Morocco in a group of four girls once. That's a call I probably wouldn't make again. But mm -hmm. then I went to Morocco with a friend who's a guy and that was a much easier way of managing that risk. Mm -hmm. And it was unfortunate that I couldn't run alone there as a woman, but these are sacrifices you have to make sometimes sure. to see places like that. And I'm glad I went on that trip. I'm glad you did too. You know, I've actually thought about that. Uh, I want to see Fez. Yeah. And I want to see the coast of Morocco. But that I, is where I was most recently was Fez. And I just, the thought of going alone as a woman, I've had a lot of people say, it's probably not a great idea. And I thought, well, I have friends that live in Spain yeah. and um, that used to live in Morocco. So they could go with me, you know, and I wouldn't be alone. Men, uh, right. A couple, you know. That would, that would be great. I have traveled many places alone as a woman, including Turkey, including Romania, including places that are off a lot of people's radar. That's been great. That's been lovely. That's been friendly in most ways. I would not do Morocco alone as a woman, which is unfortunate. It is. It's sad, but it, it just is the culture. Yeah. I mean, we can't. Yeah, and that's part of what makes it the place that it is, too, is the culture and everything that it comes with, including those less convenient aspects. Mm -hmm. So where would you recommend for a woman that's learning and starting to travel alone, uh, where would you recommend they, they start? I mean, you said 
you know, you gave uh, some tips about bringing a book and, you know, but like where, where was your first trip was Fran France? Within yourself? France. This is when I was living in France too. I mean, Western Europe is pretty easy, especially as an English speaker. I really like to be able to say at least hello, goodbye, the good old sorry in the local language. <laughs> but as an English speaker, you can't learn all the languages in all the places you're going. And it's tourist friendly for the most part. It's accessible. But that said, you should also be going somewhere that you're really stoked about. So if it's, again, and I can't speak to Asia because I haven't spent much time there. But if it's elsewhere, then go do that. You'll probably love it traveling alone as a woman because you're excited to go there mm -hmm. i think part of why after having wanted to go to vienna for so long part of why i fell in love with vienna when i went there with such high expectations was i checked into the friendliest little hostel i had a group of americans take me under their wing immediately show me around in a texan accent and as long as they were there i spent my time in vienna with them and so that made it just magical in a weird fun way that was going to be my question. Did Vienna meet your expectations after reading books? Vienna exceeded my expectations, which is really saying something. Good. <laughs> I mean, it would really sting to have a great, uh, you know, these great expectations and then go and just be like, oh. Yeah, you know. yeah. And I think that's part of the reason, too, like I was saying with this Mexico trip, that I really like to come in without expectations. And I think last minute travel is helpful on that front, too. For sure. But a couple of places that I'd wanted to go for a while, two and a half years ago, were Dubrovnik and Split in Croatia. Dubrovnik is one of the few places I've traveled that I've been disappointed with. It's flooded with tourists. Everything's expensive. You'll see a Game of Thrones shop every second doorway, but oh, right. unless you're into all of the tacky souvenirs there's really not a lot to experience there i went on a kayaking trip to get out so that was kind of nice but so i had been wanting to do this dubrovnik and split trip i had a week and a half school break to work with and i was living in the netherlands at the time and i decided to add on sarajevo as an extra stop because it was geographically convenient financially made a ton of sense i'd never been there before so why not I loved Sarajevo. That is one of my, I mean, there are a lot, but more favorite places that I have been. Really? Yeah. Have you ever been to the Ukraine? I have not. I My family is actually largely Ukrainian, but our ancestors came over in the early 1900s. And okay. so at this point, I'm just Ukrainian enough that I have a last name that's hard to pronounce and I make pierogies on Christmas and Easter. But that said, with the crisis in Ukraine now, the war, it has been on the forefront of my mind a lot. Yesterday, Canada just announced a temporary immigration stream to get some Ukrainians and other refugees over to Canada on an emergency basis. And I just signed up to do some pro bono work on that. So I'm not sure exactly what that's going to look like. All of this is very new, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, so I haven't been to the country yet. Interesting that you're Ukrainian. I didn't ask where your name was from. <laughs> that's interesting. The Chuck is indicative sometimes. Yeah. I figured Eastern Europe, but I didn't yeah. know which part. And uh, I love that you're going to be able to help. I mean, this crisis is 
is going hopefully not going to last for a long time but i hope could. not but who knows right we yeah. really don't know yeah. and right and now it's women ramped and up so quickly already all these women and children have left and yeah the men are saying yeah and so you always wish that you could do more to help but if i in my profession can at least do a bit if even if i can influence a handful of lives i would love to well, um, we actually have been over an hour. Can oh. you believe it? It's gone by pretty fast to <laughs> it me. It really has. Um, but I would like to close with this. So, uh, Celine, thank you so much for coming and giving really tips for, you know, this isn't where I wanted to go with this. It just <laughs> went with this. Is like helping women travelers uh, yeah. know where to start and also giving tips about climbing and even here and also talking about immigration and I want to make sure that people that are considering immigrating to Canada have your information so how can they find you so the best way to reach me is probably by email it's c and then my last name so c w l a s i c h u k at quadrolaw.com that said if you google quadro law q u a d r o law i will come up there you can also you know get my name from jan's podcast and then find me via even if you want to reach out on linkedin or instagram really whatever your preferred method of initial communication is and then we can work from there i just want to say that if you're looking for any kind of help going to Canada that Celine is sweet and kind and I know that she will help you in any way she can uh, I've seen her extroverted spirit here in her friendliness and I just want to recommend her because I know that you are hoping to build your business and I hope this can help with that too well thank you so much Jen I appreciate it and thank you for coming and sharing your time and your story with us I really appreciate it thank you for having me here today and thanks for de facto adopting me as part of the crew here at the Buo. I'm so glad you've been part of it this year you'll always be part if we only had an artist to draw in our book this year you would definitely be in the book well thank you maybe we will next year yes maybe so <laughs> thanks Celine thank you thank you Jen Thanks for listening to today's episode of Tales from El Buu. Hosted, recorded, and produced by me, Jam Millsaps. The theme song is El Jarabe Tapatio, performed by Maria Pulido. Please take the time to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and to recommend us to friends and family. If you're interested in supporting our efforts in Mexico, hit us up on Facebook or Instagram as El Buo Cafe. Links in the show notes. I look forward to sharing more stories with you here at Tales from El Buo.